0: Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. I'm here with Tim Gorchanis. Am I saying that name
1: right? I say Gorchanis.
0: Uh, Assistant Teaching Professor of Computer and Informatics here at Drexel University. And we are going to talk about ultra running as a thing to experience, to be, to do. How are you?
1: Hey, Doing well. Happy to be here. Are
0: you excited to talk about ultra running?
1: I love talking about ultra running.
0: (laughs) So Mm -hmm. let's start from the beginning of time. How did you start running?
1: Yeah, I was never an athlete. I was like the kind of kid who would like sit and like read a book or like organize rocks or something. And then fast forward to when I was 20 years old, my mom signed my whole family up for a 5K. Yeah, so I have eight siblings, so all of us ran this 5K at the zoo in <laughs> Milwaukee, and we ran around it twice. And uh, I, I knew from the second that I finished that like, that was something I wanted to, d- to dig into. From
0: that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running... <laughs>
1: Then I was just really excited to do it again and again and again and get better at it. So I ran marathons for about a year. And then I learned that there was things longer than marathons. And then I signed up for a 50 mile and then 100 miles. And now I've been running 100 mile races for the past few years.
0: What was your first race? And is that one that you finished?
1: First 100 mile? Yeah. Yeah. So I did not finish my first 100 mile. OK. Uh, I got to about, yeah, I stopped at mile 50. And then I She's decided. not too shabby. Not too shabby. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of it, too, is you don't always finish. So a few months later... I attempted another one, and that one I finished. I was determined to finish. I wouldn't let myself not finish. And in every possible way, it was worse than the first one that I tried. (laughs) I think I finished five and attempted nine. And so middle of Ohio, this was 2015, there was some tropical storm, just like rain, rain, rain for like two weeks. And um, this race was in the trails, and we ran a 25 mile loop four times. It was raining for the first 12 hours or so. And yeah, not that fun because things just get sticky, and you start chafing in places, and it's like, yeah, it just kind of is very uncomfortable after t- mile twenty five I had to walk most of the rest. There were some stretches of running, and it was it was very miserable, yeah, but um this race had a time limit of thirty two hours, and eventually I finished in thirty one hours and forty minutes, staying up all night, you know, uh, and the other thing is I wear glasses, and at night. It's hard to see because it's dark, but also because it's Ohio in the summertime, it was very humid and my glasses kept fogging up and, you know, because it's dark, you have a headlamp and so you have this tunnel vision to begin with, but it's like blurry, foggy tunnel vision. And, um, so yeah, the nighttime, it was like, you think about your general walking speed. Well, forget about that. I was walking like 30 minute miles, 35, just like, it was like so hard to keep even moving in a straight line forward instead of sideways. Um, So anyways, I, I finished and, uh, I always think back to that because I've never done a harder race since then. Hmm. And I even think of it when I'm just doing difficult things in life.
0: How does that kind of experience shape the next part of a race or starting another project?
1: Yeah, there's this sense that I always feel that I wanna keep taking on bigger and bigger challenges. Right. And so we saw that from moving from a 5K to longer and longer distances. And so the challenges can come from having longer distances or from things like having different formats of a race, making things more difficult on myself. So, so there's not
0: really the same sense of like conquering that I think comes with like other sports that test like endurance of like I'm going to conquer this course. There seems to be more of an acceptance of the course conquering the person
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I'm trying to think ultra runners don't really talk about conquering a course or or anything like that we'll talk about finishing so for example if you run a race one year you might feel something is left undone and so you want to run that same race in a future year and you do get like a sense of accomplishment from that and so you feel the sense of having finished it but you're right it's not conquering um, the way we talk about other kinds of sports Um, and there is this this language of uh, being defeated by a course, being defeated by nature.
0: Is there like a final end point for you?
1: Yeah, what I've learned is there's definitely not a final end point. <laughs> I guess when you die, that's the final end point. Um,
0: <laughs> and even then, who yeah,
1: knows? Yeah, right. Who knows? Yeah, it's not our business. Yeah. So I've been running 100 miles for the past couple of years. Um, part of that is because I w- want to get into this particular race called Western States, which is like everyone's dream to run Western States. but. To do that, it's a lottery system, and so you need to get a lottery ticket by running a different 100-mile sometime during the year. Then there's also things which aren't, you know, events per se, but, you know, hiking or running the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail. These are becoming uh, things that ultra runners do, like running the whole way rather than just hiking. Mm -hmm. But just that there's something interesting and, like, deeply meaningful about the self-experimentation involved and, you know, learning about how your body reacts and how you react to certain situations and overcoming different kinds of difficulties. Because every race, you know, even if you run the same race year after year after year, it's going to bring different difficulties because you have different things going on in in your life. Uh, So it's kind of an endless experiment. Do
0: you have a power song? That, like gets you
1: geared up. I do listen to music sometimes. I mean, I really like Kanye West.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: a lot of his music is really energizing and uh, positive and exciting and, and sort of sonically really interesting to me.
0: Run away from me, baby
1: Run away Run away from me, baby Run away the thing with 100 mile though is you don't want to be like super high energy all the time. You don't want like, to be hyped. Yeah, you don't want to, because like, then you'll just run too fast. And so, yeah, a good long distance running playlist is if it's going to be music, it's going to be a mix of like, you know, slower things and, and then more like high energy things like mix mm-hmm. in between. So, So in my training runs, I'm always listening to podcasts, books, um, rarely music actually. Sometimes just nothing. But for whatever reason, in a race, if I try and listen to a book or listen to podcasts, it's like too jarring, too distracting, mm-hmm. and I find that I can't even understand what the people are saying. And then I also am not like understanding what's happening in my life right now. Like I can't, I can't like focus on running and that at the same time. Some races actually prohibit headphones. So that makes the decision easy. Like the last 100 mile I did, Vermont 100, you're not allowed to have headphones at all or like play music blasting from your phone. Mm. Um, So that one, you know, you just enjoy the silence and um, you have to find these other ways to entertain yourself. So sometimes, I mean, um, you might be lucky enough to fall into step with another runner. You know, because you don't want to make anybody stay behind because you're trying to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it happens that you're both running about the same pace, um, you just get into conversation. And the interesting things, thing with these conversations is they just go deep fast. And you're talking about the meaning of life and, like, do you enjoy your job? Um, things about love and death and, and all these things that seem to come out really fast on the trail with, like, someone who was just a stranger a few mm-hmm. minutes ago. Um, so one of the things is, is yeah, talking to people and, like, you know, having a four-hour conversation takes up a good chunk of time mm-hmm. um, and I think it's sort of infectious too That in, in that yes it is a solo sport, you're running as an individual you do spend a lot of time alone but you come across a lot of other people, you know, um, and there is this acknowledgement that you know you're both going through the same thing and you're both sharing this experience.
0: Is there a way that you celebrate though? Like after after it's done, like do you just eat nine pizzas or like? Yeah, you just four you just, hoagies.
1: People always make fun of me because oftentimes, you know, there was this one race where once you finish, they give you a personalized pizza and you can get what what you want on it. And my friends were like, "Well, can't you just like go get a pizza like without running 100, <laughs> 100 <laughs> miles first? So the nice thing about ultra running is these very simple pleasures feel so much bigger than they would otherwise. And so celebrating is probably pretty tame just by normal standards. Celebrating after that is like sitting down, huge thing, <laughs> huge luxury. We take it for granted. We, we sit all day. Wow, it's such a luxury. Having some food, not running anymore, taking off your shoes, just relaxing in the, in the grass for a while, hmm. sleeping, another huge luxury. And then the next like two weeks, you just eat as much as you want and you're just perpetually hungry. Which is great. It's fun to celebrate with food, right? And so if you can eat as much as you want, sort of like a Hunger Games kind of thing, you know, without the barfing. (laughs) Happy Hunger Games! And may the odds be ever in your favor.
0: Hey, it's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, Mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to Pop Quest Pod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQPodcast. Or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye.
1: Without further
0: ado, it's time to start.
1: I've been thinking about this a lot and, you know, what it is exactly that, you know, despite the misery and the pain and whatever, what keeps people coming back? And um, there's this concept of the sublime mm-hmm. in philosophy. It's kind of become an everyday word where it's kind of lost a lot of its meaning. But this idea of something that it's so amazing that it sort of, like, overwhelms you. Oftentimes this is applied to art, but if something is sublime, it gives you pleasure, but it goes beyond that, where it kind of, like, gives you a little pain or repulsion also.
0: Run for How do you find the joy in suffering?
1: Yeah, well first we can ask like, what is joy? And your first thought might be, oh, it has something to do with happiness. We can have moments of happiness or we have the sense of lasting happiness. And I think the lasting happiness is a little more relevant to joy. And I I think ultra running sort of maybe uniquely facilitates thinking about it in this way. Yeah, you have pain. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But there's also a side that that feels like it's a good thing to be doing right now, running. (laughs) That you know, you're using your body in a way that it feels good, that it feels like we're built to move this way.
0: I wanna step back a little bit um, because you bring up Haruki Murakami a lot uh-huh. in your writing. <laughs> um, I suppose so. I mean, he's definitely like an anchor in some ways, and I find it interesting because reading his work, there's a lot of slipping in and out of worlds things being real and yet not real. And also he is a runner. And I feel like reading his works can feel like taking on a long distance task.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot going on there. He really shows the weirdness of the world, you know, like, so there's mm-hmm. there's sort of fantasy elements or people call it slipstream or magical realism or whatever, where reading him sort of opens me up to the wonder and weirdness that we experience in our own worlds. You know, he, he does talk about how, um, when he runs, he dreams and, running he you know works through different ideas or different ideas come up and so he does have this relationship between his running and his writing and uh mihai Csikszentmihalyi mihai who co- people know as he coined this concept of flow mm. where athletes are in the flow or you know, musicians can be in the state of flow um when they're having like a peak experience when um the challenge they're undertaking matches their abilities in in such a perfect way Um, And he did a lot of research with um, some athletes, uh, rock climbers, for example. Mm. And people, rock climbers talk about the same sort of thing where at first it seems like they're sort of leaving real life and going to do some rock climbing and then coming back to real life. Um, And after they do rock climbing long enough, they start to switch it and they realize, oh, rock climbing is actually the real life and this other thing is Sort of just a mask. And so I think there's something like that in ultra running where um, it unlocks something that makes you keep coming back to it. And uh, in my case, keep going to longer and longer distances.
0: Do you remember a specific experience of feeling like a oneness with like a with the course or nature. Yeah.
1: The the first one that comes to mind is when I ran Zion 100, which is in Utah, there's Zion National Park. The race isn't in the park, but it's like right alongside the park. And so, I remember a few points during that race where I would just like see this huge mountain in front of me and it was this sublime thing like how can something just be there so big <laughs> sitting there and it feels like more it's not like you're running per se, but that like running is happening to you. You're being run. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm like not the sole actor in this, but that something is happening that's um, running with me. One of the most striking moments in that race, after nightfall, the stars came out, and at the point when the stars first came out, I was like running on a very flat area. And so I turned off my headlamp and just looked up and there was so many stars and wherever I was it was such that I could see like from horizon to horizon in, in mm-hmm. every direction and there was it didn't feel like there were any obstacles and so I was just sort of like in this sphere of stars which is a kind of experience that you don't get too often. Well it is a little bit like Haruki Murakami, right? Slipping Mm -hmm. into a different world.
0: There it is. So when we talk about pain and pleasure, I mean, there's a lot of suffering with the body. What are some of the worst parts?
1: Yeah, sometimes when I'm running an ultra, as part of this sort of digging into the suffering and experiencing joy through that, I just make a list of, all the ways that I'm suffering and every way that feels bad at this moment. And so somehow somehow that helps me. But yeah, I mean, there's the typical things of like your muscles are sore and maybe cramping and just everything's kind of burning. Um, sometimes my eyes are just really dry. And like my whole, mm. my my face feels kind of raw. Sometimes I feel a little seasick and my ears are plugged up. There's also digestive things like you just have to keep <laughs> dealing with this discomfort. There's also the, the sort of suffering and discomforts that sort of come into your Everyday life outside of running. And then there's like the mental suffering too, of you know, as much as I talk about, you know, joy and digging into things and feeling the sense of accomplishment, it also plays on, you know, what we call your demons, where we feel haunted sometimes. Mm. You know, you're running, it's three in the morning, you've been running all day, uh, you're not as far along as you hoped you were, and somehow out of the depths of your mind, every failure you've ever had comes to light. Just anything in life that didn't turn out the way that it could have turned out, you just have a lot of time to think and these things come up. Yeah,
0: uh, It's like Greek mythology where you go into that cave and all the dead people you've known come <laughs> to you and they like haunt you. And part of the like journey of the hero is to like move beyond and to accept that suffering and then move forward with all this knowledge, which is the most painful part of that experience of the cave. It's interesting exactly to think right. about like the haunting effects of ultra running. <laughs> are some of the more kind of pleasurable things that kind of help keep you moving mentally?
1: There's a lot of focus on pain and sort of negative self-talk that comes up, but there are many moments of positive joy, even, you know, plain old happiness, um, that <laughs> I think are the majority of it. It's just that we have this sort of negativity bias that helps us see the negative more clearly. A lot of times I'm just, you know, enjoying how pleasant it is, right? Just as simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, seeing the sunset, sunrise, these are beautiful things. I spend a lot of time doing math and other things. I I have a habit of like thinking of T-shirt slogans for whatever reason. I'm like, ooh, that would make a good T-shirt, and uh, I never write them down and I never remember, remember them. <laughs> it's kind of like dreams, you know, like where it's like so clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes I actually have like genuine research insights. While I was working on my dissertation, I ran a hundred mile race at like one of the points, and I just came up with a conceptual model for something that I was trying to articulate before, and so that one I wrote down to make sure that I wouldn't forget. One of the best things about ultra running, I mean, besides having these sublime experiences and getting to travel to cool places, meeting <laughs> interesting people, you get to do something that in a lot of ways is utterly selfish. And we don't often have license for that in, in our lives. I think that's part also of what keeps me coming back is that there's something interesting and in like deeply meaningful about the self-experimentation involved and you know, learning about how your body reacts and how you react to certain situations and overcoming different kinds of difficulties. So it's kind of an endless experiment.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience as an ultra runner and all of the components in- involved. It's been a really enlightening conversation. Yeah.
1: Thank you, this was a lot,
0: a lot of fun. Pop! The question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morans Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do.
1: I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice.